Amen. Thank you, ladies, so much for that message and song, and all of the music has so worked together this morning for where we'll be in our study together. Would you take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Job, the book of Job, Job chapter 1, really, and in fact, all of the message this morning will be the entire book of Job. Some of you are saying, oh man, we could be here a long time. Well, we're only going to look at four primary passages in the book of Job, but we're going to look at the entire book, Job chapter 1. We, we began a new series a couple weeks ago entitled, Questions God Ask Us. And we've been walking through the Old Testament, considering some key questions that God asks people. And uh, we've considered the question God asked Adam and Eve. We considered a question that God asked to Hagar. This morning, we're going to consider a lot of questions, really, that God asked of this individual in the Old Testament by the name of Job. And God asks us questions. I think each of these questions that we consider in the Bible are so helpful because as we ask that question, I think God is inviting us to, to look within our own heart and to ask that question for ourselves and and, and as we're doing that, God, God's certainly not needing new information. Remember, we've, we've already talked about that. When God asks a question, he's not looking for something new. Rather, God wants us to discover something new, though, about who he is. And in each of these stories in the Old Testament, we see really these characters as they're confronted with a question that sometimes seems a little out of place or a little unique. And yet, through all of that, God is doing something profound in each of their lives. And so this morning, you've opened your Bible to Job chapter 1. We're going to consider a number of scriptures together. But I think if we're honest this morning, many of us have gone through some very, very painful things in life. How many of you would just raise your hand as, an, as a moment of testimony in church and say, Aaron, I've been through something painful in my life. Can I see your hand? Just look around. And I think it's a common experience. It's a common thing that each of us face. Now, certainly your experience was unique and it was different from mine as mine is from yours. And none of us can truly understand the emotions of someone else. I think that's something that this year God's been teaching me, even in the loss of my brother. My brother, who was 21 years old, passed away about three months ago. He was hit by a drunk driver. And in the days since, I found myself wrestling through some emotions. As sure our whole family who is here this morning has as well. And certainly death is an emotion that, you know, grief is an emotion that we feel. And we've all gone through series of grief. However, I would say all of our grief is different because each of us are, are maybe asking a different question in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of your suffering. And maybe in the midst of some of the most painful moments in your life, you've asked God this question. You simply said, maybe you've uttered it aloud or you spoke it in your heart, but you really said, God, where are you? God, where are you? Where are you in all of this? Actually, a number of years ago, a, a Jewish rabbi wrote a book, many of you are probably familiar with, it's called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And in it, he's asking really that question, why do bad things happen to good people? How many of you have ever wondered that question before? Why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody in church, honest, this morning, you said, I've asked that question. 
But really, I think a better question that the rabbi didn't ask that maybe we should ask this morning is not why do bad things happen to good people, but why do bad things happen to anybody, right? I mean, this world is so broken and your life this morning in some way feels so broken. And we live as broken people in a broken world. And because of that, we're faced with so much difficulty. We're faced with so much sorrow. And this morning, you've opened your Bibles to the book of Job, Job chapter 1. And we're going to see this morning really kind of that question that the Jewish rabbi asked in the book of why do bad things happen to good people? Because we're going to consider the life of Job who had a whole bunch of bad things happen to him. And yet we may say, as God says, he's actually a good person. So if you have your Bible this morning, would you stand with me? We're going to read Job chapter 1. The scripture is not overhead for this. I did not just give them this, but I I just decided we're going to read the first five verses. I think this will help set the stage for where we'll be. So it's not overhead necessarily, Job chapter 1, but it is in your Bible. You follow along with me. Notice how the book begins. There was, in the, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. A man was blameless and upright who feared God and turned away from evil. And there was born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 700 sheep, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and many servants. Notice the description of this man. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of their feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And notice how Job does it. The Bible says Job did this continually. What the Bible wants us to understand in these first five verses is Job's character, his wealth, his position. The Bible refers to him as a blameless man. So here's a good person. If we're going to look in the Bible for a good guy, just open your Bible to the book of Job and you'll see one. And he has a lot of stuff. And yet in the course of the entire book, God takes it all away. It's all removed from him. And Job responds, and he has a lot of questions in this whole thing. And I pray as we look at his life this morning, we'll find some comfort in our life and draw some truths that God showed to Job in the midst of his suffering. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, we really need your help this morning. I recognize, Lord, my inability to talk and to share in many ways, Lord, to even understand the depth of sorrow. And so, Lord, what we're asking this morning is for your spirit to be at work in our hearts. We pray that, Lord, you would convince us of truth and convict us of truth. Lord, you alone know what each person in this room needs this morning. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would minister to their hearts today. Help them to understand, Lord, a better picture of who you are. And we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone said... Amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes this morning, you can simply jot down the title 
of the, of the title of the message this morning is a question that God asked Job. He says to Job, actually later in the book, he'll ask him this question. He'll say, Job, where were you? And that's the question we're going to consider this morning. Where were you? Where were you? You know, a lot of Christians have gone to the book of Job throughout the centuries, and they have gone to this book because they are hurting, because they are in pain, because they are in the midst of a trial or in the midst of great loss. And they've turned to the book of Job in a hope that they might find answers to their questions, that the book of Job in some way might help shed some light on their suffering and why things are happening the way they are. And I don't know about you, if you've ever done that, maybe you've done that. But I think if you have, the the chance is probably this. You turn to the book of Job to find answers and you found none. Like you thought that maybe the book of Job would shed some light on your suffering and the question that you ask is actually not answered. Because the book of Job is not just filled with one question, it's filled with a lot of questions. It's filled with questions of Job and his three friends as they're trying to understand who God is and how God works in this world. And there are questions that God asks Job, that that God confronts Job with in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, and in the midst of his loss. And if we were going to divide the book of Job up this morning, the first two chapters are a prologue. They're, 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 they're kind of lifting the veil, as it were, to some things that are happening behind the scenes that Job never knows. He, he has no clue they are happening. He's not even aware of them. God never tells Job in the book what is happening in chapters 1 and 2. So we know what's happening in chapters 1 and 2, but Job never does. And I think that's important for us to understand, all right? There's this, there's this prologue. Then, then chapters 3 through about chapter 39 is full of uh, a dialogue. It's a dialogue between Job and his three friends and then another guy by the name of Elihu. And, and these four, really five, if you add Job, are, are, are having this dialogue. They're having this question, these conversations about who God is and why would God allow these things to be happening in Job's life. And then in verses in chapters 38 through chapters 41, we get a monologue. God, God steps in in the midst of a whirlwind. And God begins to question Job. And then in chapters 42, we kind of have the epilogue and we read how the story ends. But these first two chapters of the book, Job was never privy to. He, he doesn't really understand some of these things behind the scenes that in a lot of ways for us that read this story today, it sheds a tremendous amount of light on why this is really happening in Job's life. But just remember, as Job is going through these things, he has no clue. He has no clue as to why God is allowing these things in his life. And in fact, the very first question that is posed to us in the book of Job is not a question from God to Job, but it's a, it's a question that God asks Satan. And if you have your Bible, you can follow with me. You can see it in verse 8 of chapter 1. Notice what the Lord says. The Lord, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, I'm just telling you, I read that this week, and I'm thinking about Job. And like, out of all the things in your life and all the suffering in your life, do you really want God to say, hey, in the midst of your devouring like a roaring lion trying to destroy someone's life, have you considered this guy? but that's what God does. God's like, have you? And and all of your like devouring and all these things that Satan you're trying to to do to thwart, you know, my purpose and my plan. Hey, have you, have you considered this guy named Job? Like, I'm sure had Job known that he would have been like, thank you, Lord. You know, like really? 
But God asks this question of Satan. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And now notice, this is not what Job says about himself. This is what God says about him. The Bible says that God says he's a blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Actually, two times in chapters 1 and 2, God gives that exact same description about Job. He's blameless and he's upright and he fears the Lord and he turns away from evil. I wonder, could God say that about your life this morning? So already, we're not asking a question of, uh, you know, this is helpful because Job is really an illustration of when bad things happen to good people. (laughs) Job's a good person. And, and God is allowing these things in his life. And instantly, when we, when we think about it like that, then we say, wait a minute, that's a major dilemma because there's a really big problem that pops up after you read chapter two. And that is, wait a minute, it, it would make sense for us for God to execute his judgment on an ungodly person. I think sometimes, isn't that how we're kind of wired? We, we kind of think about like just the way that the world is and then you know, the principle of you'll reap what you sow. And so certainly we, we, we find it easy sometimes. I think when we hear about bad things happening to a really bad person, what we determine is bad. We're like, oh, well, that seems about par for the course. You know, like I, I can go along with that. But, but, but see, the, 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 the question in the book of Job it, it makes us say, wait a minute, what's really going on here? Because God, because God is doing all of these things to a person who we would say is a godly person. Psalm 78 asks this question. It says, why do the righteous suffer? Some of you have asked that question. Some of you have pondered that in your own life. You're like, I'm really trying to live for God. And it just seems like wham, 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 bam. I'm just being hit. And we're asking that question. And we're invited, actually, to ask this question. Do you see the book of Job? There's a lot of ways that people have interpreted the book of Job, but I, I think that's, the, that's where we go when we just read it. We, 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 we want to answer a question why is God allowing this suffering in Job's life? And it would make sense to us if God was allowing the suffering because Job had done something wrong. We're like, he's just getting the just payment for what he has done. But, but when God says he's blameless and just and fears the Lord and upright, and yet God's still allowing these things in his life, it, it really causes us a lot of perplexity as we question, what is God doing because you read the passage, and we don't have time to read it all, but, but you read the book of Job, and Satan reaches out his hand and completely destroys everything that is near and dear to Job. It's all gone. Job was the greatest of all the people in the East, and now in just a few short chapters, Job is left with nothing. His wealth is, is, is just overnight vanished. His oxen, his sheep, his camels, his donkeys, his livelihood is what the Bible is saying. And he had a lot. He was very wealthy, very influential in his wealth. And notice the Bible says all of those things were gone. Job loses his wealth. He, he then loses his health. The Bible says that Satan stricks him with boils The Bible says in chapter 2, verse 7, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, 
So much so that Job took a piece of broken pottery and with it, he began to scrape himself and scrape those boils while he sat in the ashes. Now I'm just like, you picture Job. He's lost all of his resources. He's lost all of his wealth. And now his life has been infected with some type of sickness. And we're not really told why, but it just seems as the more you read the book of Job, the worse he gets. And he's physically not doing well. And he has a great supportive wife, you know. His wife says, curse God and die. But he doesn't do that. Even when he loses all 10 of his children. I can't can't even be imagined to, to fathom, to enter into the pain of the loss that he felt in that word from his servant. I don't know if any of you have ever lost a child. I know some in this room have. Some have lost a brother or a a dear friend. But to lose all your children, all at the same time. I mean, the book of Job is a lot of loss. And we read the book, and the question that the writer of the book wants us to answer is the, the writer wants us to consider Job and his life and all these things that he had that now has been stripped away. And we look at these 10 graves of his children. And we ask the question that I'm certain Job is struggling with. Why? God, God, why? Like that that would be my first response, right? That'd be many of our first response. But I want you to consider Job's response. Notice notice in chapter two, I'm sorry, chapter one. Notice back in chapter one, beginning in verse 20, notice Notice what happened. Job heard all of these things about how his life has just gone from everything to this complete loss. And notice in verse 20, Job arose and tore his robe and (laughs) shaved his head and, excuse me, fell on the ground. And and what does Job do? He tore his robe. He he falls to the ground. And and I'm expecting to read the very next word that he cursed God. Or that he ended his life. Or that he gave up on everything that he had. But that's actually not what we read. Job tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground. And he did what? Say it louder. He what? He what? He worshipped. And how did he worship? Verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible said in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So we have in chapters one and two, the suffering of a godly person. And some of us are quick to try and resolve the tension because we feel the tension of what's going on in Job's life. And I know that. Some of you are like, hey, I know why. I know why. Let me tell you why. It's Satan, right? It's like exactly what Eve did in the garden. It's Satan. It, uh, Satan did these things. And, and let me ask you a question. Did Satan do these things in Job's life? Yes or no? He did. He did. That is true. Satan did these things. But that actually doesn't resolve the tension for the problem of the evil that God allows in this world because we discover that, that although Satan did these things, that God We read in chapter one, it seems as if God gave him the permission to do it. And God even in some ways instigated the whole thing of asking Satan the question, 
Some of you are saying, man, why did God allow Satan to do that? Why did he allow that? Some of you have asked that question about your suffering. You've asked God, you've vocalized that very question to God. You said, God, why did you allow? And fill in the blank. Did you not know? Could you not understand? Why don't you? And we begin to bring our complaints to God. And the one question that we want answered in the book, like the one question that all of us want answered is why did God allow all the suffering in Job's life, right? Can I let you on a little secret? We get to the end of the book and guess what happens? We're actually not told. We're never told. We're never told in the book of Job or anywhere else in the rest of the Bible why God allowed these things in Job's life. But we're going to find something more this morning, something, uh, I think, a bigger question that God wants us to see. We turn the page into chapter 3, and now this is where the story begins for Job. Job, Job descends into a deep, deep darkness. He says in chapter 3 that he wishes he had never been born. Have you ever said that? I think I'm talking to people this morning that have asked that question. And can I tell you, I mean, that's a dark place to be. If you've ever asked that question, why am I here? Why did God, why have I ever been born? And like questioning you want your life to end. And notice we're told in this book that this isn't the question of some ungodly guy. This is once again, based off of what God says about Job, a question of a very godly man. That, that kind of helps me a little bit this morning. You know that? Kind of helps me realize that even a godly person can ask a question as deep and dark as that. What do we discover in the midst of Job's suffering, in the midst of his darkness? The whole book is now a dialogue. I read it again this whole week and of Job's three friends, Bildad, Elphaz, Zophar, and a guy that just pops in at the very end named Elihu. And all these guys are coming to Job as his friends because in love, they, they do. They enter into his pain. They sit with him. They wait. They mourn. But then they all start trying to enter into this dialogue of why has God allowed this suffering in his life? And they're all coming up with their own opinion, their own explanation as to why God's allowed that. Have you ever had someone give you a word in the midst of your grief and it was the most insensitive word that you have ever heard? Man, like losing my brother this year and it's just turned the tables on me. It's turned the tables from being one of a minister to being the person that is ministered to. And, and, and now when you're sitting in that grief and you're sitting in that place, you're saying to yourself, wow, that sure doesn't sound the way you thought that sounded. But thank you anyway. These guys opened their mouth and they loved him. He was their friend. But they just didn't have the right word. They're all given opinions as to why God allowed the suffering in his life. And, and actually, Job's opinion is very different than theirs. Job's perspective throughout the whole book is that Job is innocent. He did not sin against God. He had not done anything wrong to which he was uh, he had sin in his life, although he was blameless before God. There, were, there was nothing in his life that God was, in a sense, punishing him for. 
And you know what? We know that what Job is saying is true because of what God says about Job in chapter one. God says that he's blameless. He's upright. So it's not because Job had sinned against God in some way. And that's Job's point. He's, he's arguing that throughout the whole book that, that he is blameless. And yet there's still these things that are happening to put it in our vernacular. Job's the good guy and God's doing bad things to a good guy. And Job's saying, what's going on? Like that, that doesn't add up. Like if I had done something wrong, then I would receive the just payment for it. But I've, I've done nothing wrong. So why am I suffering? And Job kind of concludes that either God does not really operate in this world according to justice or that even worse, God himself in some way is unjust. That's where Job lands. He's like, I don't know. There's no, guys, there's nothing wrong with me. So, so, so God's either unjust in how he's dealing this out to me, like he's just not really aware that I, that I am who I am. Or, or worse, God's not really who I think he is. And Job's three friends have a rather different opinion. Pretty much they all say the same thing. Job, the reason why you're suffering is because you've what? Someone tell me. You sinned. You sinned. It's best represented in what, uh, <coughs> excuse me, what Eliphaz says in chapter 4 of verse 17. Notice in your Bible, chapter 4, verse 17, Eliphaz says, Can a mortal man be right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? You see, the perspective of Job's three friends is that, no, 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 Job, God's not unjust. God is just. Like, these guys would be the, the, the Bible theologians that we would all want to listen to, you know? Like, they're saying the right thing. We would want them to affirm the fact that God is just, and, and they're coming to that. They're saying, no, 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 God is just, and because God's just, Job, there's something unjust about you. Like, there's something going on in your life and you may not really know it, but, but, but I'm telling you, we're all telling you, there's something seriously wrong here. You're being punished by God is what they're saying. So figure it out, you know? They're like, figure it out. Think back, what did you do last week and two weeks ago and a month before then? Certainly there's something in your life that's brought this upon by God because God is just and he would never do anything unjust. And they all lodged their reasons. Can I tell you, can I just, can I just take a little sidestep here? We need to be really careful to play God in someone else's life. What seems so clear to you may not be so clear. We all think in the tough cause and effect relationships. So when we see something happen, we say, ha ha. That's it. Well, God doesn't always draw those connect the dots quite the way like you connect the dots. Because now God, Job wants God to answer him. He wants God to answer. And you know what happens? God answers. He comes. In chapter 38, God shows up in a whirlwind. He's like, you're all going to give your opinion about what's going on in this guy's life? Let me give you my opinion. All right? God shows up in chapter 38, and what is God's opinion? Notice with me in your Bible. Go ahead and turn there. This is helpful to see what God says. 
to Job in chapter 38, beginning in verse 1. Notice the first four verses. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely, you know, or who stretched out the line upon it? God begins to question Job. Up until this point, Job's been asking questions, wanting God to answer. Now, God turns the whole table around, and now God's going to ask Job some questions, and God wants Job to answer. And notice the very first question that God asks. Honestly, if we didn't really understand what God was doing in this passage, having read it all, we would think this first question is rather insensitive. Because up to this point, remember, let's remember what's happened in Job's life. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his health. He's lost his family. His friends are not even supporting him. He's having to defend himself even to them. And God shows up. And I think the first word many of us would want God to say, hey, Job, I understand. Or, hey, Job, Here's what's really going on. But God doesn't say that. He asks what seems like an insensitive question in the midst of Job's grief. Job. What's God's question? Someone tell me, what was God's question? What's God's question? Come on, shout it out. What is his question? Where were you when what? I started everything. God says, hey, Job, where were you when I fashioned this world and began all these things in motion? You're like, what? That's not a fair question. I'm like, well, I wasn't. You know, and Job begins to go through this. And God, God now begins to ask him questions. <laughs> 50, 60, some think upwards as many as 77 questions for, for Job to answer. Really, it comes down to three things. It's Job... God's asking Job, Job, can you comprehend my creation? Job, where were you when I set in motion and the stars? Job, have you seen the storehouses of snow? Job, have you? God begins to ask him about, can he even comprehend it? Can he even comprehend God's creation? And then God goes another step. And, and in chapters uh, really kind of 39 into 40, uh, God asks another question. He He's not even asking Job, can you comprehend it? Now he's saying, hey, Job, can you care for it? Like, Job, here's this donkey and here's this deer and there's these birds and, and look at what I'm doing for them. Look at how I'm caring for their needs. Job, how about you be God for a day and you take up the responsibility list and we'll see how you do it. That's what God's saying. Job, can you comprehend my creation? Job, can you care for my creation? And then finally, God goes to two massive creatures. He goes to the behemoth and the Leviathan. And God says, can you control those wild beasts in my creation? Behemoth. Some people think the book of Job is talking about dinosaurs. Others believe, and even if we just take the lesser of the two, okay? God's talking about a hippopotamus and a crocodile. 
Now, I don't know if any of you, any of you been on an African safari? Anybody been on an African safari? Any of you seen a crocodile in real life? I remember, I remember going to the Steve Irwin Museum when I was, no, not museum, zoo, the Steve Irwin Zoo. When I was growing up, I was in Australia, actually, and down under, and, and I had the chance to go and see some of these crocodiles. And man, you don't want to step into an arena with a crocodile unless you know what you're doing, right? I mean, the hippopotamus, have you seen what a hippo can do to a watermelon? You've ever seen those videos? Like it just crushes a skull. I mean, it's just, it's powerful and strong. And what God's doing, he says, he, God's just picking out two things. God could have picked anything in all of his creation, but he just picks two, one on land and one in the sea. And he says, he says, Job, do you see a crocodile? Job, do you see a hippopotamus? Job, can you control those things? What's Job's response? We see his response in chapter 42, chapter 41, beginning in verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord, I know you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Too wonderful for me that I, which I did not know, hear, and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, Job says, now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Now, don't forget, Job's going through a lot of grief, a lot of sorrow, a lot of loss. And God wants Job's perspective to be taken to an even greater plane. God wants to see what's, what he's doing behind the scenes, how God is fashioning and orchestrating and doing things of which Job could not even speak, neither could comprehend. As I think about the life of Job, I think about that quote by J. Vernon McGee as he often used to say, this is God's universe, and he does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. And as you come to the end of the book of Job, what do you discover? The one question that we all want answered is the question I'm sure Job had asked. God, why is this suffering happening to me? And you may be here this morning, and that's your question. God, in the midst of my loss, in the midst of a, a loss of a, of a son or a daughter, in the midst of a financial loss, in the midst of my health that seems to be failing, Lord, in the midst of infertility or, or challenges about, about life after death and questions that I seem to not have the answers to. In all those things, the question we all want answered is the same. It's why. It's why. But you know how the book of Job ends? God never tells Job why. In fact, Job tells, God tells Job a lot of things that Job didn't even ask questions about so that Job might understand that he does not have the answer to that question but God does, and I will trust him. And I don't know where you're at in this room this morning with things in your life. Surely there's a gap in our understanding. 
between what we think we understand and the answers that God's not given us. But I wonder this morning, is it enough for you to simply realize there are things in your life that God will never tell you the answer for? But He is who He is. He's the creator of all things. He's the everlasting God. He is the Almighty. And this is His world. And He fashioned a perfect world. And He fashioned your life because He loves you. And He set His love upon you. And and He sent His Son to redeem you and to enter into the brokenness of your mess. And there may be a specific question this morning that this side of eternity, even after you get to eternity... I don't think you'll ever have the answer for. But is it it enough to simply say, but God, you do know. You are enough. And I'll trust you. I'll end this way. I pray for you. I pray for you often. And I ask you, pray for me as my wife and I are stepping out here in a few weeks on a sabbatical. Question I've been through even in my own grief and my own loss is, God, are you enough? God's come again and again and he's comforted my heart and he's shown me, God, yes, I am enough, Aaron. I am enough for everything that you're going through and everything that this church is experiencing and everything in your life right now or what you will experience, I'm enough. But will we trust him? Will we trust him that he is enough? Job did The story of Job ends by Job saying that he's going to repent of how he thought about things. He's repenting and how he's changing his mindset. He's turning his thoughts away from how he used to think about it. Now he's repenting and he's he's thinking about it a lot differently. And he realizes that there's things in his life that he does not know the answer why. But he knows that God can be trusted. And in that, he will trust the Lord. And the book of Job ends by God restoring to Job's life. Double. Double. It's a picture for us that we all have questions in life. God has the answers. Even if God doesn't give you the answer, God's not obligated in any way to give you an answer. But even if he doesn't give you an answer, will you still trust him? Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, we're thankful that you're a God who loves us. We're thankful that the book of Job invites us to get really honest with our pain and our suffering. We're thankful to know that, Lord, there's others, even in church history, that have entered into our sorrow and our pain. And, Lord, although they've not been in our shoes and certainly not walked our own experience, our emotions, our perceptions, our feelings have often rather been the same. And Lord, I pray this morning for this group. We all have questions. May we find you to be enough. May we rest in you because you are enough. And Lord, when there's a gap in our understanding, may we fill that with trust. And trust that, Lord, even though you may not tell us what we want, you are doing everything according to your purpose and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so in that, Lord, is a great place of comfort. It anchors our soul to know that there's an infinite, 
all-wise, all-purposeful, all-good Father. So Lord, I pray that you'd comfort hearts today. Help those that are in the midst of their grief, Lord, to take a step forward out of their grief and into your sufficiency. So we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.